And then I went into the mountains, uh, lose my trail, so to speak. I was so, so I stayed in the mountains on horseback for five years and then I homesteaded. So that whole time, the Lower East Side, from Black Mass into the mountains, I didn't paint for almost 20 years. So we want to get into that, the, the, all of that, why you, said a lot just (laughs) but i want to take it a little slow i want to know uh yeah just your pace (laughs) welcome to our crime podcast i'm here with sophia hello josh i'm marshall and actually, Ben, you got to be one of my the guests I'm most excited about uh, ever on this show. Well, I'm uh, we're really honored to please you said that. <laughs> we're here I'm sure you had some really better people, but <laughs> I'm glad you thank you for saying that. No, but I'm saying that we're here with a true a true legend. You uh, you start a lot of stuff that I'm very interested in, and we'll get into to all of it, but. Uh, I was I was interested you talking about jazz how you came from cuz that that's before a little seeming before your generation you I always associate you more with the beginning of kind of punk rock type stuff No like, we were early, I was earlier You were earlier right okay yeah. Punk really took a lot from Black Mask Right yes In fact Malcolm M- McDowell Mc, no. whatever is it McDowell or something like that when he before he died, he, it's online. He said that the inspiration and the material they used graphically came from Black Mask. Yeah. By way of there was an English group that emulated Black Mask that be, gave and came and stayed with me, visited with me. They used my graphics. Oh and, wow! And they were called um, King Mob. Okay. And they are the ones that started the whole punk. They were one of the early, and so Malcolm said that online that we were our graphics were. Well, for for one our of listeners, the beginning who might not know about that, that guy Malcolm, that his last name escapes me too, basically started the Sex Pistols and safety pins right. and the jackets and everything, and and he's oh gone now. Gosh. He's passed away. Yeah, yeah, I know. So when you started. Black mask, and you say you stopped painting. So Correct. I stopped painting. You're you're essentially like at this point fairly renaissance. Like you have, you did music, started painting. Then it seems as if the way you affected people was your art to a degree. Would you say that? Yeah, in well, black mask to us to in black mask. Actually, the written word was not more important than the visual. Because both the two of us started it, and we were both artists. And to us, the visual impact was equal, if not more important, mm. than than the verbal. Okay. But there's also like a level of performance in, in the activities that you guys would do. Yeah, well, later we started being involved with uh, guerrilla theater people. Right. I was friends with the Living Theater. I actually started with the Living Theater. When I was seventeen, okay, yeah. Who? What were they like? And 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 what what kind of performances were they doing? What the kind Living of, Theater. Yeah, they were the, probably the most important 
theater group in American history. They were phenomenal. But at the time when I went with them, I was 17. And at that time, I kind of knew my uh, philosophical inclination, my political, but I never used the term anarchist. I didn't, I had was not aware of that term in mm-hmm. a sense. Okay. And they were anarchists and they made, put the name to how I really was. So I started using that word after, but they were uh, pacifist anarchists, which I never was. But I, I was really close to the founders of the Living Theater, uh, Julie, Julian Beck and Judith Molina. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought of them through most of my life as my cultural aesthetic parents. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. They meant a, they really meant a lot to me. And what what about it did you connect with so much? Their their um, political or social consciousness, their attempt to affect their a change in, in the way society thought of things. Mm-hmm. Like the 50s was really repressive. Right. I mean, right. you would not recognize America, you know, if it hadn't been for the 60s. Uh-huh. Like the 50s was so repressive. The 60s broke it wide open. What we are today is really partially... Uh, a result of the 60s. Yes. But they started it in the end of the 50s, the Living Theater, the Beats. Uh-huh. You know, they they predated the Cultural Revolution, the Cultural... They were the first, the Beats. Right. And uh, the Living Theater was actually came out of the Beat experience. They were poets. Did you like... Uh like the Merry Pranksters, do you feel like that influenced you at all? No, I knew Ken Kesey quite well, but uh-huh. they were a West Coast. They influenced the Diggers more than us. Okay. And I never really connected with Kesey. I knew him. And I just always felt a little uh, alienated from his... He was very different. And then there was a big... Uh, philosophical debate in the psychedelic we all use psychedelics we all used LSD mm-hmm. and um, there was a big debate between the west coast and the east coast the west coast like Ken Kesey and the pranksters they uh, used method of dosing like they would provide LSD unbeknown yeah. to the person taking it. Like on the handrails yeah, at yeah. the venue right. and yeah. stuff. Or in the punch. or In the punch, And right. we on the East Coast, like I was friends with Tim Leary. Yeah, Tim Leary. We objected to that. And Tim and Ken had a big falling out about it, and I sided with Timothy Okay, on that. So, so and I know Tim, Timothy Leary and... And even some guys like Ram Dass were looking for a more spiritual connection with right. with the LSD. Right, much more. Actually, there was three of them. There was Timothy, Ram Dass, and there was another scientist worked with him named Metzner, but he fell out somewhere. Okay. But Ram Dass and Timothy continued, and they always were. In, and I personally was interested. In the spiritual understanding, the spiritual, okay. but not using the term spiritual, but it really, I knew there was something beyond just the material. Well, what you're talking about is sort of, I, I, I feel similar to you in that 
there's something about you that's looking for spiritual connection, but at the same time, essentially an anarchist. Would you say you're still an anarchist? Yes, I would say that. But I am more or equally involved with the spiritual side now, which I can call animism. So the understanding that the universe is alive, that there's a spiritual entity throughout the universe, and that it's not only a material existence. It's there's a, the spiritual, the spirit of life okay. is 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 dominant. It's more I feel even more crucial than than the material. Mm-hmm. Like all of life is based on this motion, this idea of spirit, this movement throughout the universe. In fact, I'm really interested in the whole concept of the string theory, which has gone past the atom. Like they, the string theory says that the atom is not the, the particle, the smallest particle, that actually even the atoms are made up by these little energy right. strings. Uh-huh. So that energy... And that, to me, is spirit. Uh-huh. Is the is even more finite than than the atom. Is more the there's more space in between the atoms than right. there than there is actually space right. of atoms. Right. That's like they so were, it's like we're made so of that nothing. The energy yeah. is is more predominant actually than the material. Uh-huh. That makes me think about. Um, it, it makes me feel like you're describing uh, the Holy Spirit. I don't know. From a religious background, I'm from a more religious background. But see, yeah, but that, I always emphasize that I'm not not religious right, because right. religion then becomes an absolute yeah. uh, ideology. Like animism, is just a recognition that, of that the universe is alive. Energy, yeah. It's not. It's not saying what you must then believe. It's just saying that this is a fact. Mm-hmm. The uh-huh. universe is mm-hmm. alive. Now, what you believe is up to you, whereas religion says, no, what you believe is what we're going to teach you. Would you say that's similar to like the yin and yang of like, Uh, would you say it's like your idea is similar to the yin and yang, like the flow of the universe? In order for there to be a positive, there must be a negative. Yeah, I mean, the flow. Yeah, that flow. You know, that's a symbolic way of denoting it. Yeah. Is there is there an afterlife in what you what you think about? I don't know. If I would use the term an afterlife. There is no end to life. Like life does not. I mean, life is an energy. So when you pass, just change your form. energy changes form. But I mean, so it's not that there's an afterlife. There is no end to life. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a continuum. Well, it's interesting that the teachings, like traditional teachings, that have passed down religiously, like. We come from the dust. You'll return to the dust. You know, returning to the Father. This kind of these kind of principles that are given to us in like a package and a, a certain vocabulary, mm-hmm. versus like the things that we can. It makes me wonder. Like originally, we observed life and death, and we there's one thing we know about death, and that is that we start to disseminate into these other like forms. You know, if we die next to a creek, we become that creek in the afterlife because our molecules are like disseminated into that thing. So you're speaking very like similar to that. Do you feel, do you, do you typically reflect or feel like it's 
associated with the original teaching of what religion is trying to get to. to yeah, because what like, you're saying overlaps with it many different ideas yeah, about how like, to look at life yeah, like, but you're, feels you're, like Buddhism your way is like, like a purist yeah. way it feels buddhist because it's not within the context of a packaged religion however it also has this very like black and white understanding it's it's, it's not an ideology though see it's not right. there there is no belief system that you must adhere to with right. religion all religions have a code that you if you claim to be part of that religion, then you accept that. I'm kind of chasing down a thought here. The, the, in some terms, the bourgeoisie and like the oppression that culture can be, and maybe religion is under that umbrella, maybe art's under that umbrella, mm-hmm. all these things that are... Well, art was not under that umbrella to begin with. Okay. <laughs> See, art in the beginning was like animism. Like uh-huh. art was a part of life. Like these guys in the, did the cave paintings, to them it was not art. Right. Like right, you, right. you, they had no thought, well, we're going to sell the cave. Right. In other uh-huh. words, it's just a way of expressing. It's, it's like breathing. Uh-huh. Right. And that is what we lost. But art is really a form of breathing. Mm. It's necessary. Art is one of the most essential parts of human life. Mm. But what has happened is that that original understanding that you must create because you are creation. There's a purity to it. Right. It lost. It's not a product, in other words. It's an expression. Do you think there was a creator of the universe then? No. No creator. Okay. To say there's a creator is too anthropomorphic. That means mm-hmm. to create, if you call it a creator, it has a bodily, it be, it's an entity. Mm-hmm. But creation is, is beyond the creator. Okay. Beyond the concept of creator. It is creation, it is essence itself. It, it is the law. God doesn't follow the law. He is the law. It's actually just the energy of the universe and becomes that. And God is like such an anthropomorphic concept. I mean, it's absurd. Very confined, yeah. It it has some... You know, I think the the Bible says God created man in his own image, but it feels like present day we created God in our image. Like we just sort of... That's exactly true. In other words, because we are an entity of bodily form, we assume that God must be a bodily form, but larger. Okay, yeah. It's becoming clear to me how you reconcile your your spirituality in an, a, a more a, a, an, anarchic, anarchic, right? Anarchic, yeah. Anarchic theories, yeah. Like it feels... More like, connected. Yeah, like there's a real purity in what you're saying, and it always goes back to the beginning. Like humans aren't living the way they're supposed... Like the way that you were designed to, to live, right? No, they're not. I'm interested to see, like, your your ideas of connecting art to that kind of just natural flow well, of living. That that's a good, you know, segue, because in other words, art, if, if you sense that there's, a, that there's this creation, this, that the universe is alive and in motion, art becomes just the individual's way 
of identifying and being a part of that. In other words, that's our entry. So that's like our instinct. Like the bee's instinct is to go gather pollen to make honey mm-hmm. for the survival of the bee. And you're saying that our like humans need to connect to the universe is through the creation of art. Is that what you? That's kind of what you're saying. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. That's so yeah. simple. I right? mean, and it was that. If you look back in history, life. If you look at history, you will see that all humans had some, like Aborigines, they had to look for food or attempt to to acquire food, you know, almost 20 hours a day. Right, yes. Mm -hmm. Because it was so scarce. But they still had time to to make what we, what they, we call art, but they didn't think of it as art. Right, right. They had to find a way to identify with this greater whole. So you would call it identification. That's that. Even that's beautiful because as you were going through that thought, I was thinking they found a way to express, but mm. you are thinking more identify. With. Right. It's, it's I would, deeper. Yeah. It's deeper. That's much deeper. As I think about it too, I mean, if you think about the need, the instinctual need for the humans to connect to that greater thing, that mm. greater flow, if it's the instinct of every living organism to survive, then and it's our instinct to do that, make that creation of art. How does the instinct to survive connect to the instinct of creating art? Like in what in what way does that creation of art function in our survival? See, but that that's where the the mistake comes in. In other words, it's not creating art, but it's expressing your connection. So then, our culture has deemed to call it art but uh-huh. in the way back like the people who did the cave paintings for instance they would they had no word for art at all i mean it, it was not art it was a right. state of being yeah it feels like it you're was an expression well, like describing a, like a way to access a, a state of like pure presence in right now they it's just a non-verbal in understanding with, yeah rather than calling it art what i really mean is like how does that instinctual desire to touch something and express or touch something and create augment or, something or to manipulate in some way to how does that connect to like what's the per, like what's the value of doing that what does that do for our survival that's what i'm asking cuz is it, it it's connecting and identifying and you right. certainly can't live without connection no there's even study you know like a baby who isn't held doesn't do as well, you know, mm-hmm. like all that kind of thing. But also, like the the con- like consciousness, human consciousness is so different than other animals. We have this ability to remember our past and be present now, but let our memory affect what's happening right now. Uh-huh. And I feel like just the way your brain is has evolved, it's. Um, kind of implicit that you would be a creative being no other no other animal is trapped inside their mind and fully aware right. of, our, of their well certainly not aware of our own death yeah but that's the yeah big one. this might seem a little abstract to you but if you look at nature free human like human is a later manifestation oh yeah later. it's like a little but smidgen free human 
it's aesthetically beautiful. Like, yeah. Like if you look at a shell, like you try to think, what? Well, why? Why is it so beautiful? Uh huh. See, like creation is in essence beauty. Yeah. Yep. So it was beautiful without being conscious that it it's beautiful. It just is. And as the human evolved out of animal, he then sensed that and just enhanced that. It's so interesting how you So instead of waiting for yeah. the shell to form this beautiful shape, yeah. he created a beautiful shape. Is there something like there's this idea that great art, whatever that means, taps into almost that shell beauty. Like it's not necessarily a new story or a new object it's something that locks into a groove that humans find beautiful do you know what i'm saying like in some way it's like pre predestined like why do we tell shakespeare stories over and over again or the oedipal story it's because there's something fundamental that that speaks to us so we keep talking about it you know so i'm 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 wondering if that is the purpose for art to just reinforce those beauties over and over again. Truth and beauty. Truth and beauty. I, I wouldn't say there's a purpose for art. Okay. I would rather say that art is the purpose. I love that so much. That's so enlightening. That's, that's at the core of our DNA when you say it like that. Yeah, yeah really. That's... Yeah, it's so enlightened. And so what's happened today, now to go back to today by it becoming this objectification, this commercial, it's a product. Yeah. Yep. We've it's divorced it then from, from the, the essence. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, and that's it's, the problem. It's blasphemy almost in spiritual. It's actually own, blasphemy. Yeah. 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 Th- this is really resonating with me. I mean, Sarah Schmerler said once, she, we were in class, this, this teacher we had, she kept saying, you know, why, why, do, we make, why do we make art? Yeah, just recently. Yeah. She was like, we make art because we are compelled to. I make art because I'm compelled to. And like, I think that was probably the closest thing I had gotten to what you said, true. but you just went like another right. 10 steps deeper into that. It's, it's really do you, amazing. Do you think that everything, like every field, like, say bread making and every what every field of of creation like the artisan who makes bread and the architect and the you know the rug maker and the couch maker and like everything that surrounds us that a human has yeah, ever touched everything is instilled with this aesthetic like so the the baker is like, an artist he, too he's has an aesthetic yeah uh-huh. he has his purpose so, so like the the architect or or the you know, the person who makes furniture, I mean, they have, they're expressing some aesthetic, so in some which way, is universal. Mm-hmm. In some way, what you're saying is it is incredibly relieving and, and uh, freeing, liberating to anybody listening. Because you're saying, pick something that you love to do and do it. And do it good. And do, do it, it aesthetically. Because then do you it. become, then you become you. Mm-hmm. We become who we really are, and when we become who we really are, like when for me personally, it's easy for me to like when I wake up in the morning thinking about drawing, 
all day long when I go to bed. I never have to stop. It's not hard for me. Like that kind of thing. So it's likewise, the architect who's really in love with architecture wakes up thinking about it, you know. And that way we can change the world a lot faster and be like really progressing, right? Correct. Is in in is there <laughs> do it from do it from your within. heart mm-hmm. like yeah. the, your, your, that internal like need yes. to sculpt something or build like a building or something like that. Do this math. is a really beautiful like way of of thinking about. It. I'm wondering has this way of thinking about life and about making about creating has it evolved since. 1966 has it changed oh, to, to now? It's a like, constant, like it, it'll probably be evolve into tomorrow. Like mm-hmm. it's a it, it's a constant process. It's like it's just like as an artist, so to speak. You're you you do a painting 50 years ago, but the painting you do today has touch. evolved from that one you did 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's not like you rejected that one. It's just that. They keep moving. So your thought process keeps moving. Your understanding keeps moving. It's a constant process. It's a constant... So you never stop learning. Never. So do you think an artist has any responsibility then? Like responsibility to culture, to themselves, to the universe? An artist has... It's just like every human. See, that... I don't even want to limit it to art. Mm-hmm. Every human has a responsibility to enhance well, the human collective. What you just said a minute ago, if everyone does what they're passionate about doing, everyone's different. So right. somebody's going to feel like creating the most beautiful building for people to right. meet. Somebody else is going to feel like making the most effective, beautiful helicopter exactly. to fly in or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to have a passion in and an area. And one is not better than the other. We're, and what you're saying mm-hmm. is like, do artists have a responsibility? And what you said previously, everyone is an artist. Mm. Yeah, and everybody has a responsibility to the great everyone has that responsibility. themselves. In well, other how? words, you're, you're, you're given life somehow. Well, then from that moment on, that life, it's not yours. It you have to find a way. You have to return that gift, so to speak. Do you have to? You're here. You have to contribute to that. Wow. Okay. That becomes incredibly distracting. Sorry. Is your, go ahead. What? We all three have questions. <laughs> go, please, please go ahead. I talk. I talk too much. You go ahead. All four. Yeah, four. <laughs> It's interesting, you know, native people, to their, their sacred number is four, and there's four of us, so uh, that's pretty interesting in itself. See, that's the other thing is you get, see, Western man thinks one th- thought is special, but it's all special. Uh-huh. So, like, the fact that there's four of us has a meaning. It's not an accident. Ben, do you feel like your art is your own then do you feel like i'll phrase this i have students who are always upset because they're not where they want to be which in some ways admirable in other ways i'm always i'm always kind of telling them this isn't something your art isn't supposed to make you happy or validate you in a way it's you're just supposed to give it out there right correct yeah so do you think that you 
own your art in a way, or is it? Does no. it just go out? It, There's no I, ego. The, I, I don't even accept the term own. Mm-hmm. Okay, you don't own anything. Uh huh. See, like native people, they had no ownership. Uh huh. They had use. Mm-hmm. So when the Europeans came to this continent, oh my God. the people that were here, they were using things, mm-hmm. but they didn't own it. Uh-huh. That's interesting, too, because so, they had such so a respect. The, the European brought the concept of ownership, which is a false concept. It's a, mista- it's a, it's a blasphemous concept. It is, yeah. Well, you, I mean... You cannot own creation. Creation, in fact, owns you. You don't own it. So you have a duty to basically, well, I mean, as a painter, I feel like, even when I'm in the studio, I do feel like, I don't know, my process in the studio is, it feels like what you're talking about. I, I don't like that feeling of ownership. I made this. Yeah, the um, ego part. Yeah, it, it feels, it does feel false. and, and Yeah, the ego becomes a roadblock. And yeah, even oh, with Instagram, awesome. it can yeah. be a vehicle to the, the more roadblock. you can discard the ego the closer your work will be to reality. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Ego, ego just gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how, like, because I think there are people working in a pretty pure fashion. I, I think they're in the minority for sure. So how do we get where we are right now? Like we're in Trump's America right now. And it's a disaster, and it's like how, but you you actually even can't think of that. Trump would like you to think you're in Trump's America, right? Yeah, yeah. But I prefer to think that Trump is in our America, and the sooner we get tell him to get the hell out of it, the better. Uh huh. It's uh-huh. not his. We're right. not in his America. <laughs> right, but how do we get in this place where art, like we said, is is totally commodified and just, you know, the advertising and the art and we're getting sold things that are deadening our minds constantly. And how did we get here? It's almost like we're in in a cage we built in it's a way. Capitalism. Well, each individual has to find a way to work out of it. This uh-huh. is, this is, uh-huh. I have to find a way out of it. You have to find a way out of it. But all I can say is express that that's the goal, mm. is to find a way He was out. reading something that you had said earlier. Can you just repeat that again? Something about not leading. Oh, yeah. That Man, was this so is such good. a beautiful thing you wrote here. I, have, I had so many questions for you, Ben, about all these things about revolution, about renaissance, about being rebel. I feel like all of them are kind of just dissipating into whispers. Yeah, it's like it's all well, like Zen now. <laughs> yeah. They're, all, they're re- all really important. Mm-hmm. Let, see, see, in other words, we could probably spend a couple of years... <laughs> Talking? Talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to read this. Yeah, yeah read for it, read sure. It. You said we are neither artists nor anti-artists. Yes, right. We are creative men, revolutionaries. As creative men, we are dedicated to building a new society. But we must also destroy the existing travesty. 
What art will replace the burned bodies and dead minds which this society is producing? How can we create, since creation is life, as life is being crushed? Yet we must. We must create the tools with which we will replace this horror. We must create the seeds of the new, both psychological and physical, not alone, but in the ranks of the masses, neither leading them nor being led. That's the best part. Oh, whoever wrote that, <laughs> right on. I wish I had <laughs> Neither leading them nor being led. And you know how long ago that was? 1966. I know, it gives me chills just reading You know reading how many years it. ago that was? <laughs> but that's where I'm at, Ben. I feel like... I feel those dead minds and the burning bodies. And I'm like, how with my paintbrush do you contri- – how do you fight that, you know? It, fe- it feels – I don't know. It feels like everyone around us painting is doing it from – it's tainted with capitalism. It's tainted with all this. It's not pure. It's like I could get in this gallery if I do this thing or if and I that's paint- the problem. Yep, right. That's why I love I love what you said about the ego. Get rid of the ego, and it's going to be closer to that that like real life or the truth of, of what real life is in that flow. I've I've always been reluctant to give an answer. Okay, I'm more comfortable with giving a question. Okay, so in other words, that way we each have to find it because we all we really so different all of us but we've got to find an answer that's valid for all of us mm-hmm. and only you know what that is but it's your it's your version it's your in other words it's shrouded in your uh clothing so to speak mm-hmm. it's like each of us have to find an answer and it's going to reflect who we are but that answer will work for all of us in that this concept, uncertainty, which I tried to visit last time we were uh, podcasting, this idea to chase uncertainty, I feel like a lot of your work in Black Mask was basically engaging the public in a way that made them, basically, they were confronted with Challenge. uncertainty. And they had to pick something. Right. And it wasn't that they picked one thing or another thing. It was that they were engaging in the uncertainty itself. I think that's at the heart of, of what you're saying. I think that's the answer is that if you, you chase that mm-hmm. uh-huh. and you let go of, you know, maybe some prescribed thing of what you want, your ego, your will, what, what do you want to make? What do you want people to see you? If you let go of that and you say, let me just chase this thing that I have no fucking clue about. I'm so scared. That's going right. to take you to a place that's uniquely you that only you can get to and only you can answer but at the, I mean, I think it's a bold chase in this era because like in the era of social media and all that, it's like. It's very difficult. It's difficult, right? How do you chase yeah, and, it? Yeah, and it gets more and more difficult as time goes on rather than less difficult. Uh-huh. Because it but gets more less difficult. We're going to reach a turning point. Okay. <laughs> and we're approaching it. How do you know? You listen to the environment, the earth itself. It's telling you mm. that you've gone as far as you're going to go <laughs> with this endeavor. Uh-huh. You're going to have to 
understand or you're not going to exist. It feels that way, right? It feels like we've gone as far as we can with this current plan. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just that most people haven't realized it yet. <laughs> I, had, I had a – sorry, I talk way too much sometimes. No, you oh, don't. Yeah. That's I mean, great. You know. I had a – I had a what we don't I, charge by the word. Awesome. <laughs> I had an I had a what for me was a realization the other day. I was getting like a, I was eating like some peanuts and some dark chocolate, and I realized that for every generation of artists, like a time period, we can pinpoint like the Renaissance time period, yeah, and the medieval times, right. the early twentieth century, and and late mid late twentieth century. We can also pinpoint the questions that they were faced at the time, right. although the artist was creating work. Right. And you could then pick those artists that you feel were closer to that shift. And those that were – like if yeah. you look at the, – say, the, take the Renaissance – I mean you look at Bouguereau. Who, who, nobody talks about Bouguereau anymore. Uh-huh. I mean who gives a damn about – they right. talk about Cezanne. Uh-huh. So right. it's all relative. So within each – each visual period, you have to identify who was getting closer to it. The truth. And yeah. see, to me, like art's a relay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the pe- the artists that came before us, they passed this baton, mm-hmm. so we're going to run with it. But we have to try to understand which baton we're picking up. Yeah, well, that's it, right. Yeah. Reckon with the past and push it further in a way I was, I was thinking about so you're going to look behind you and see okay who was closer to it right that i can run with i love that I love and that. it's all one it's all one that. continuum like whether oh, you're totally one it's yeah, a river it's all one right it's well, a river very yeah. good it's a river well, we have yeah. yeah i think we're posed with a different question in our time period specifically because like in the early 20th century when duchamp put the toilet in Right and and began to open up that gate of like we are also philosophers and thinkers and mm. we we'll make work f- for these reasons. It took us a hundred years to get to where we are now, comfortable with the doors open. We can make work with about whatever we want, whatever subject matter we want for the individual as a collective whole. Mm-hmm. And so now we're posed with. I had this realization. I thought for me was a realization that we're posed with this question. That they have that they've been asking, but haven't been forced to answer as a collective whole. Which is when art becomes so accessible, highest quality abstraction all the way to highest quality realism in every form of expression. What is the value of this artwork, or what is this? What is the value of creating? And so then I realized that it's not in the image that we're making. That's no value in that, mm-hmm. but in the connection that we're making. And the conversations we're having with each other, and the, with each other, that that makes this thing valuable. Renaissance time period didn't need to answer that. They were making commissions for people, you know. And in 20th mm-hmm. century, they had their very clear purpose to resist against a thing. And in our time period, I believe is like a really this is a really important time period to answer that question of like, where is the value in this thing that has been so bastardized? And uh, would you agree or totally disagree with that? The term value is a difficult. In other words, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> See by, the facial, by your facial expression, I knew it was coming. Uh, we don't need value. We just need 
It just is. Express understanding. Like, in other words, we don't need value, we need understanding. And that is the most rebellious thing. You that's, can amazing. Do. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's that's amazing. You're like my better. new guru. Yeah. <laughs> you just go. Yeah. I so was, the I value have, is connection, though, right? The value is connection with yourself and with other people. See, if you think as you're working, if you think of value, then the work can never be completely free. In other words, because you're confining it into this concept of value. It's valueless. It just is. It doesn't have exchange value. Mm. It has value in its existence only. But what you mean by value is exchange value. I don't. But not you, but people yeah, who yeah, use the term value, yeah. they mean exchange. Yeah, right. Value. What are we getting in return but for? It's valuable yeah. just in its yeah. existence. Yeah. What about a cultural currency? Like a a cultural currency in the idea of could bring someone closer to their true self, a painting. Do you believe a painting could do that in the world? The, the creator of that painting, or the painting itself, the object. Yeah, could it but bring both. a viewer? Yeah. It both. could both. Okay, I'm going to tell you an example. You won't believe this. Almost, I there was in Colorado. There was a restaurant that I used to go to occasionally. Mostly, ate, I ate at home. You know, my my companion would cook, and but once in a while, very rarely, we went to a restaurant. Well, this restaurant had a painting of mine. Okay. that they had bought from me. So we were in there eating. I mean, this is like so unbelievable that it would happen at the moment we were sitting in there. But as we were sitting there, like like her and I are sitting, there was a woman sitting at a table, a man and woman, but the woman, she jumped up, just jumped up. And my painting was on the wall, and she pointed to shit, random, just like she pointed at it. She said, that is what I want my life to be. Whoa. And she sat down, and I was Whoa. I was just sitting there, like I happened to be in <laughs> So the owner of the restaurant and went over there and told her, the guy who painted it, believe it or not, is in the restaurant. That's crazy. That's that such a compliment. That is insane. That's beautiful. I that mean, it's beautiful. like, how could that... Do you know the chances of me being in the restaurant when that happened yeah. or one in a billion? <laughs> okay. And so, parallel to that, you know this book you have, but there's yeah. there's like twenty five books at least with my writings in it. Uh-huh. So that's one, but there's in it's in eight languages. It's so anyway, I was in Spain. So these people I was speaking at at uh, at the uh gallery uh, uh, discussion center so I happened to be around them they said well, I'm going to take you to this bookstore it's the largest bookstore in the world almost it's five stories tall it's in the middle of Spain Madrid. Okay. five stories Wow. do you know how many books are in the five story building <laughs> more than the strand <laughs> I walked in the door with my interpreter you know a friend he speaks Spanish and Portuguese because I was on tour in Spain and Portugal. So I came in with him. We walked in. I stepped in the door. And as I stepped in the door, 
I turned, it was the cash register. Okay. And there was a woman at the cash register paying from one of my books. Oh, really? Do you know the chances uh, of one in 10 billion? I mean, (laughs) in a five-story building of books that not only would she have, but I would be walking in at, like, if I had come five seconds earlier, I would have missed it, or five seconds later. Did you sign it for her? I told the guy that was with. I said, "You go over and tell her. Go tell her I'm he, that I'll sign it for her." Mm-hmm. So he did, and so she brought it over, and I signed. But you know, it's that in a lot of native people in their language, there's no word for coincidence. Oh, like especially Cheyennes, who I'm closest to, there's no word for coincidence in their language, hmm. and that's a really important philosophically because it's a recognition. That nothing is coincidental. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. And that brings me to a really important... Do you know how many languages are lost on this planet daily? More than one. Several languages a day are lost, extinct. A day. Yeah, right. And every time a language is lost, we are losing an understanding and a philosophy that's embedded in their language. Mm -hmm. Just like these Cheyennes, they don't have a word for coincidence. So Mm -hmm. that's a philosophical point that's necessary to understand. But if their language were lost, there would be no realization that there is a language without that word. Right. I think it was Noam Chomsky was talking about there was an old, I think they were in the Amazon or something, and... In this small community, had no way to refer to the past. Like there was no past tense right. in their language. Okay. It was there just, you go. Mm-hmm. That That's is, another example. It's, it's, it's philosophically to think of how different your life would be if you couldn't refer to <laughs> right. The past. Think, think about like, <laughs> but that's why all of these things are so important. Uh huh. Then, I mean, looking at you currently. I want to go back a little bit. Like you seem in a way at peace and in functioning as a human in a really beautiful way. But the way that I, I see black mask, it felt like there was anger in that. It was. was. So how did it's like in, in your upbringing, it seems rough kind of hell's kitchen in the height of West side story, hell's kitchen. Yeah. And, and fights and drug addiction and right anger at society, correct? correct? So I just want to kind of get in that space a little bit with you. Not necessarily a question to where you got to now, but what was that like, you know, those years of fighting and stuff? I don't know if you, if your age, if you realize what the Vietnam War meant to us of my generation. Like, it's it's now, it's like a war, a history. It's, you know, my generation, there was this insidious act mm-hmm. being carried out mm-hmm. in our name. Right, right. It was us. In other words, you, you can't go over to Vietnam and say, hey, I'm American, but that's not, they don't know that. Mm-hmm. It's being done in our name. So we are the perpetrators. You have no idea what that did to us psychically. Like, 
like my generation, my especially my family, my group, Black Mask and, and Up Against the Wall after it, uh-huh. we decided categorically, either we're going to end this war or we're going to die. Wow. There was no, it was not like, well, maybe it'll end. Maybe We set clearly lived, it's going to end or we're going to die. Hmm. Stopping it. Hmm. That's, that's, so that anger, in a sense, allowed me to do what I had to do, propelled. You could not do what I did without that anger. So anger is useful in, in times. It can be. It can be. Uh-huh. It allowed you to divorce yourself from a decision that was made against you, your beliefs. So, basically. And we had parallel, we had the black struggle going on. At the same time, which was is really different than today. I mean, today you have Black Lives Matter. There are certain elements, but we in the '60s, it had reached this crescendo. Okay, yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about that because so we had these two things that we carried that we had to end. Because Black Mask was, I don't know if affiliated is the right word, but it was certainly adjacent to Black Panthers. You supported the Black Panthers. Correct. And the Black Panthers, different from Black Lives Matter, were, would use violence. Correct. They were willing to do that. Correct. And I, I mean, the, when I look around, I sound like an angry guy. I guess I am. But I, I feel, you know, I read, recently read Autobiography of Malcolm X. And I was like, man, that... It feels like we're at a point where violence does seem necessary to me in some ways. Do you feel that? Is it different times? I felt it then. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't feel opposed to it now. Okay. But I actually feel that we may be able to do it without that. Without that. I'm willing to do that if it's necessary. Okay. But I really feel we may... And I feel that because the opposition is so militarized mm. that it would be Disaster. best if we could find a way to do it other than that confrontation. Like, for instance, what we did in the 60s, you cannot do today. Mm-hmm. They'll kill you. Uh-huh. Yeah, you tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> you guys got away with a lot. <laughs> I mean, you could not be done today. It's because of you. It's amazing. But I'm so jealous of it. I I love your time. I've but this s- is your time. But yeah. it seems you can so, yeah. learn from. But you can't be jealous of it. Uh-huh. This is your time. So now you find uh-huh. a way. But I yeah I hear you and I know you're right. But I I have such a hard time with people. I see guys like you or. All the all all the stuff you you hear about and read, or what was going on in music, or it seems so much more powerful than what my friends are doing right but now. You see, but I didn't succumb to that thought. So, in other words, I never felt jealous of the beats that they were able to, or the expressionists, the abstract expressionists. Uh-huh. I felt like they did what they did. Now I must do what I can do. Okay. It's that relay. Uh-huh. I have to take that baton. Right. So rather than feel jealous or that I missed out, I'm going to take that baton and now what am I going to do with it? Let it fill you up. 
Well, let me ask you this then. I, I see exactly what you're saying. But do you see people – and your quote that I read, it was um, – what was something – it was the minds. It was – you said it great. Burning bodies and dead minds. Do you see minds deader now than you did in the 60s? Because I – well, yes and no. Okay. Okay. In the 60s, the dead minds were 20% of the country. 20% of America okay. were dead minds. Today, 40 to 50% are dead. Okay. So that means 50% have some understanding. Mm-hmm. Back then, only 80% had some understanding. So mm-hmm. you have an advantage. You have a larger group of people that you may be able to reach. Oh, right. Because that 30% is a battleground. We had to reach... 80% of the people. And like, how are we going to do that? But uh-huh. you have to reach a lesser amount, 40 or 50%. Okay. I'm not saying it's going to be easy for you. Okay, so going back to my clumsy questions, I feel like we are, uh, Sophia, Josh, and I are of a certain generation of painters. And a lot of these painters, I'll be honest with you, Ben, there's something very boring about them. They're in it to get something for themselves, and they're just in – it feels like the motives are very corrupt to me, and yeah. I couldn't get more bored by half the conversations I have about painting what, with these but people. But you're absolutely right. I mean you can't feel guilty for that thought because you're right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But what, what do we – what do we do – like I'm getting a sense from talking to you that – what you do is just do what you can to the best of your ability. Take whatever you've been given, your baton, and and, and sort of further it in, right. in whatever way. And that takes a lot of work and a lot of thought and a lot of almost enlightenment to do that, right? You make – we all make personal choices. I, I can't – I'm not saying this categorically, but you three or one or two of you or – may limit that endeavor to one sphere. So in other words, you're going to try within the art world to make that, carry that baton. Mm -hmm. And I have no, you know, uh, uh, antagonism toward that at all. No disagreement. But I am really different in a sense because... I am trying to carry that baton from the art world, from the political world. I'm still involved with the political world. Mm -hmm. The animus world, I'm still involved with native and animus. I, like, inundated over, like, in other words, I can't do it in just one sphere. It's all connected. I'm not saying I'm right or that I'm somehow... It's a higher, no, but that's just the hand I was dealt. I cannot forget my indebtedness to creation, need for change socially, and for the, the need to understand and, and accept some spiritual uh, involvement. Your indebtedness to creation, that's beautiful. Are you, is your art paying off a debt to... to 
cre- creation in a way. I mean, I know you wouldn't like those terms, but yeah, is that? I, I don't like the word pain. Right. But <laughs> it's, it's fulfilling. Fulfilling. Fulfilling a debt. In other words, I, for some reason, was shown a creative path. I'm blessed. I'm lucky. I'm so grateful. Wow. So I have to, I'm not saying everybody needs to do that, be involved with all these fears. It's a heavy load, like because I really feel. Yeah, you you you've sort of reconciled them really beautifully. I'm thinking about your time in in Black Mask and what was going on at the time. What what do you do with some with someone like Warhol, who seems fairly opposite to what you were trying to do? What do you think fairly about opposite. that? Yeah. What What do you think about a, a Warhol or or that? Well, obviously, I don't really have any good feelings, affection, or... Uh-huh. I knew him. Uh-huh. And he was a creep. <laughs> On the personal level. Forget okay. what he did to the art world or what... He brought this understanding that commodity. He commodity, brought a commodity right? consciousness. Uh-huh. So I dislike that. Right. But he was not, he was not a really good person. Right. He was he used people. He was condescending toward people. Hmm. Yeah, and his he was really, shallow. Shallow. I feel like he introduced more than anyone a real shallowness into yeah. the art world mm-hmm. that he we're did. still dealing I with. You feel that? Too. You feel that? Yeah. That's awesome. He did. It just turned into product. But, I what, mean, see, aggressive the, product. Some of his Irony. early drawings Listen though weren't like that. Huh? It was like before he became he was Andy drawing Warhol. at the art students league before he, he became Andy like Warhol. he had some really sweet drawings that they're actually <laughs> on display at the academy right now i love those but that's a different person than the yeah. person that changed the art world but maybe that right to ben's point like it feels like ben has continued to reach more and more in his life and it feels like you could roll that ball backwards too mm. like get more and more corrupted well this is really interesting because ben mentioned earlier the flow of the like flow of natural flow of things right in order for there to be a natural flow we can't just we can't only accept that we can't only look for light if we only have light then we have nothing we have neither darkness nor light no they they go together must go together no light without so for there to be somebody Batman needs the joker exactly (laughs) If there's if there's to be, we need to have a Warhol mm. and a Ben because well, that's because where I if with well if, <laughs> if if that would not have happened, it would never have necessitated our question that we have to answer for our time period. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't I don't agree, but I, you know, I'm not going to because that that forces us to ask a question. That we never have been faced with before in all of heart history, that that will enlighten, hopefully, hopefully increasing if and setting the stage. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, is that question how do you make meaningful? I'm saying that in quotes. Art in a time that meaningful art doesn't seem commercial or wanted. Or, or wanted. Yeah, right. It doesn't seem. That's right. It doesn't seem wanted. I feel that. It doesn't feel wanted. It doesn't feel wanted. But the thing is, like, you have to not give a shit about that. 
And How do you, you not give a shit about a that? Way to truly believe in it. Pose it in a way that will create want. Present it in a way that makes people see, like that woman who said, that's the way I want my life to be. Uh -huh. So we have to do that. We have to be enticing with, well, with our experience. Our, our, like I didn't make that painting hoping to do that, mm -hmm. but it, it happened that way. Well, how about, how about this as a solution? Because we've lost that sense of, I mean, visual stimulation to us in our time period is almost, I mean, it's so much, mm -hmm. huh? right? Our sure. visual stimulation of what artwork looks like is just numbing, right? So there's hardly any stemming the use. Like, I don't get a lot of use out of looking at an image anymore. No. But I do get a lot of use out of making a genuine connection with somebody who shares a similar belief or a, like, a, like a similar notion or even a discussion that's kind of where I can learn, right? So do you, think that that's, do you think that that would be more appropriate to like our time period? Like how would we make – how would we connect art making to well, those kind of connections? there would be different approaches. Like maybe one approach will be in amidst this absolute – cacophony of like imagery and lights and somebody say just make a mark and say all of this Times Square lights is nothing compared to this mark but what is that is that mark because that mark enough. says this this is enough okay this is enough I am here and this is enough and the lights are trying to sell you something Correct. and trying to dull you and say right. what you have is They're not enough. They're trying to entertain you. Art didn't – I use the term loosely, art. I don't really like the term. But it wasn't entertainment. But I think to now your – Now it's entertainment. To your point that was so salient to me about the art world split itself before yeah. art was battling with mundane and that seemed like a Correct. fair fight – now this thing <laughs> split itself. Right. And it, it feels like I almost had a I lost my train of thought. So until we can battle the mundane, we're ending up with this Indonesian battle with the of the art world. Yes, and it feels like it's gotten more sinister because now we're being advertised to to tell us what we have is not enough. Yeah, we're betrayed. Your life isn't enough, your house isn't enough, your family's not enough. Sell them more goods, you know? That's everywhere right now. Just like getting more and more corrupt in a spiral. So we have to oppose that. And one method is to step outside of it and not succumb to it. Uh-huh. Step outside, right? That's where the artist always is, though, I guess. So, like, we, we each have different ways to do that. And I'm reluctant to use myself as an example because... It's not the only way to do it. You know, but we all have to do it. But if I say, well, I did it by doing this, it would, you, you then can make the erroneous assumption that I'm suggesting this is the way to do it. No, that's the way I did it. But we each have to find a way. Mm -hmm. God, that's so good, Ben. That's really good. Do you, do you might like, we're having a beautiful discussion about life and art. 
But you have some great stories. Do you mind just going into a few stories? <laughs> I feel like it reduces the conversation a little bit, but I do want to hear about what happened to you at the end of your run in New York and, and Valerie Solanus and that sort of stuff. Do you mind talking about that? I don't mind. I mean, it's, you know, it's up to, you know, whatever. I'm open to whatever. I'd love to hear a little bit about it because I don't know the full story. I know that she was your roommate, correct? Or? She used to room with me, stay with me on occasion. Okay. She was more or less homeless. Okay. So she knew that any time she needed or wanted, she could stay at my place. Okay. So she had free, so sometimes she would stay two, three days, sometimes a week, mm -hmm. sometimes one day, sometimes one night. You know, okay. she was free to come and go as she chose. She wasn't necessarily a roommate. She was a... No. Yeah. Okay. And she was writing the Scum Manifesto at this she point. She had already written it. She already wrote it. Okay. And so In fact, then, that's how I met her. Okay. Talk you about that. Hear, that's a story. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear it. <laughs> okay. So Black Mask... And, and you have copies of it, and yep. you can see that it had a nominal charge on it of five cents. Yes, yes. I never collected five cents ever for <laughs> yeah. one black mask. Uh -huh. <laughs> so we just put five cents so that when we were out on the street selling it, if you're giving something that's free, people are going to take it. Throw it away. And throw it away. They, right. they, they, yeah. But if it says a nickel... That means they really got to make an effort to get it. Uh huh. But you don't really expect a nickel. If they say, oh, I want that, you can say, well, you don't have to pay, you know, because they really want it. Right, right, right. Okay, so I was out on the corner of 8th Street and 6th Avenue. 8th and 6th, okay. There used to be a bookstore there. Uh huh. So I was there giving it out, and this lady came up to me. She said, oh, I want one of those, but I don't have a nickel. I said, you, really, you don't need a nickel. Come on. You want one? That's, I'm happy. I'm uh -huh. here. She said, no, no, no. She said, well, you wait. And she went into the bookstore. This was Valerie. Right. She went into the bookstore and she stole a copy of the Scum Manifesto. From the bookstore. Her own book. Her own book. <laughs> and she brought it out to me. And she said, here, I'll trade you. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> and I thought to myself, there is a person worth knowing. Oh, that's so great. It was, like, phenomenal. So that's how I first met her. Well, and for... And this... I actually really, I really loved her. Yeah, As okay. a person. I mean, it wasn't... You know, people in the movie showing her and I, they 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 implied some liaison. Sexual, That's what I remember. But there were, it was not. It okay. was a very platonic. But I really did love her. I really felt really close to her. Hmm. You were on the right side of history in that era on a lot. Being with the Black Panthers, you were you were very much. Would you have considered yourself a feminist at the time? A what? A feminist? Well, I'm more like Valerie. In other words, the term never worked for me. Okay. In other words, she thought that it was too exclusionary, the term. It, mm -hmm. it was like, almost like a limiting. 
Okay. And I'm like her. Mm. So I wouldn't use the term. I'm totally 100% in favor of gender equality. 150%. Uh But I would not use the term. And she wouldn't. She actually disliked the term. And so then clearly around the... I don't like it either. You don't like the term? I feel the same way. I fucking hate it. Well, that's how Valerie built. Yeah. Well, Sophia, what what do you say in 2019? What are what? How do you view yourself? <laughs> how do I view myself in that on that issue? You know, I think, I think we all instead of gender, instead right? of, yeah, matter. it doesn't we matter are who we are. Take it or leave it. <laughs> like like like. Okay, to give an example, instead of making paintings about being feminist making feminist paintings, why don't you just be a woman that makes some fucking good paintings? Yeah. You know what uh-huh. I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. Why does it have to be? It's not a topic. Just mm-hmm. be an awesome person. It's who you are. And show people, like, yourself. And don't, don't like, be aware that that's a thing that maybe you're kind of trying to reach over, but don't feel like you're getting like shit on for it or or right. you're gonna put these this other group of people down like that doesn't even make any sense it's the opposite yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's like what are you doing do you it's feel not like bettering anyone ben what do you think about those like groups those subdivision of like like movements like feminism and and uh me movements and the blacks and the lgbt yeah do you think I, of, like it's just like i felt in the sense in the 60s in other words i'm not movement oriented like gender oriented or race oriented to me this whole thing got to be changed mm-hmm. it's all the whole thing is fucked up <laughs> so like like in other words I can't limit it to like wow if, if black could be equal like equal to what <laughs> like some well, dumb Trump. Like so like to me and like my connection with the Panthers, I re- I really like them. Eldridge Cleaver asked me to run for vice president when he ran for president. And I told him, Are you crazy? I said, I'm an anarchist. <laughs> <laughs> but That's but, a big honor to have Eldridge Cleaver. But Bobby Seal once said it's written it's online, but I noticed lately it, it, there was a book written called, um, it's written by James Carr. And he was a Black Panther, but he was also involved with the, the uh, Soledad prison break. Anyway, he wrote a book and he said in it, quote, unquote, he said, Bobby Seale always said there was one person he wanted to make an honorary Panther, and that was Ben Morea. Ah, nice. And then James Carr said, I don't know if he meant it in reality or he just felt so good about Ben and that was the way he said it. Hmm. But that's, so that's how I was with them. Like, but I was very different than them. Mm -hmm. And they were very, not all of them, but certain elements were authoritarian, almost Maoist. Hmm. And I used to tell them, you know, like you're my closest ally, my closest, but someday when this is over, when we're finished, we're going to fight it out because I'm totally opposed to that authoritarian. So I'm with you right now. 
but someday, <laughs> and they liked that that I was totally honest. I wasn't like trying to please them or yeah, I'm with you. I'm this. I'm. I was like telling them we're friends right now, but someday we're mm-hmm. gonna fight it out. And I think they really liked that honesty. Yeah. So then, and after Valerie shoots Andy Warhol. Then that was when you left New York City? No. Well, go step back. Okay. So I, before she shot Andy, uh-huh. I was at Columbia University occupation. We, we seized a building. Okay. So the students had seized four buildings and occupied them. And they had contacted us, and we went up there. They invited us up, and we seized the fifth building. It was the only building... That was not emptied by the police because we had it totally fortified. Your building? Yes, the okay. one we see. And we said, come come on. <laughs> come and get us. And they didn't. They negotiated and got us to come down. They did not enter and like they did the other four. But anyway, so Valerie somehow got in that building before all this happened. The okay. Ending. She, came, she came to see me. She said, Ben, I want to see you. She said, I want to ask you a question. She said, what would happen if I shot somebody? So I said, that depends on two things. Who you shoot and if they die or not. She said, oh, and she left. And and one week later, she shot Andy. Oh, my God. So that was... then. The day she shot Andy, or the day after, I wrote a leaflet in support of her. Okay. And I handed it out at the Modern Art, which was completely unacceptable to everybody. Right, yeah. Like, that I would... Wow. I was the only person that vocally supported her. Wow. 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 This is really interesting. And that's unbelievable. That piece I wrote, there's a copy of the Scum Manifesto put out by Olympia Press. Gerardness or whatever is Gerardness. Okay. Olympia Press in France. He put out a copy, uh, an edition of the Scum Manifesto. Paul Krasner was the editor. Okay. Who was a friend of mine, Paul. But in the end of, in the back of the Scum Manifesto is an appendix. It's the leaflet I wrote and gave out. Oh, really? Yes. The only place it was printed. And I, it was so good. I love it. Huh. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, it's, I've been trying to find it. Even online, I have trouble finding it. The book, the, the, the pressing of Scum Manifesto. The appendix. Can you find what you wrote online? Just that's an what image I mean. of it? That, okay. That's even hard to find. No, no, that's what's hard to find. That like you can find about that book, uh-huh. but to find the appendix mm. is really difficult. But I found uh a group in Brooklyn, a gay uh women's group in Brooklyn, and I contacted them, I called them, and they had it. And mm. I told them who I was and that I wrote that piece and I said, I'm trying to get a copy of... So they mimeographed it for me. And oh, sent really? It to me. So I, I did have a copy of it. 
but I don't any longer. I uh, gave it away. Or, but I've been trying to find it. I'd love to read it. Yeah, Scum it's Manifender. really it's one of my favorite pieces. I love to read it. I yeah, I mean it was very poetical. It was like something like the plastic inevitable shot by the the Valkyrie of the future or so. You know, okay. I used Valerie to, Valkyrie, used Valerie, Valkyrie, nice. which was a uh, uh, Viking. The Valkyries were the women warriors in the in the Vikings. Yeah, yeah. So I used Valerie. I used the word Valkyrie. Oh, that's great. But it it was a, I I, I really can't. It's so, I mean, just those few words. This it gives me a. a it's so beautiful. Yeah. I love so it. It's like, one of my favorites. Awesome. <laughs> so then, wh- why did you? Well, let's get back to the story. Okay. Then. So, she asked you that question. You pass. You're passing out the leaflets at the MoMA. Why did you then leave New York shortly? That had nothing to do with that. Oh, I thought it did. Okay, okay. The leap, like I was really reaching a point of like I was a threat, perceived threat to the establishment. Mm-hmm. I was reaching a really critical point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the pot was boiling over. Right. So we were going to Chicago for the Days of Rage. Days of Rage, I don't even know what that is. That was the demonstrations in Chicago during the Democratic Convention, which turned into riots. Okay. And there was like eight people stood trial after it. Would this have been the time of like the Watts riots and, this is and no, things like that? This is after? sent to prison for... I got... That, that's a different that's story. Different that it was in Boston. I, I was given a... 40-year charge. But anyway, so we were going, we had two or three cars of us going to Chicago for Uh the demonstration, the Days of Rage, which turned into riots in a sense. That was the, you know, the the Democratic Convention when they, they, in Chicago, they beat all the students and it was, so at the time, I was traveling in a blue Volkswagen and I had been traveling around New York in that blue Volkswagen with the people. And so it was fairly known that I was in that vehicle. Recognizable. Yeah. So on the way to Chicago, we kept stopping. Like we stopped in Detroit. I, st- I stopped in Ann Arbor around the White Panther people. And, you know, I kept stopping. But every time I stopped, I was getting a phone call that all blue Volkswagens are being stopped on the way into Chicago and they have my picture Hmm. and they're approaching the car with guns drawn as if they're expecting trouble or going to provoke trouble. So the first time somebody called me, I thought, well, that's live. And I kept going. The second time somebody called me, I said, well, the third time somebody called and said the same thing. I thought to myself, I'm willing to die in the revolution, but I am not going to allow them to assassinate me. Mm-hmm. So I disappeared. Headed That's south? That's why I left. That's when I left. Okay. Wow. Okay. 
And in that in that period of your life is where your interest in spirituality you well more yes into that? not not my interest that's the wrong term because I was interested in it uh huh to if you look at that book I have a there's another book that has all my graphics in it okay I wish you had that it's like a, a coffee table size okay it it they they printed three hundred copies of it. And it was sold out in two weeks. Mm. And they've never reissued it. I've been trying to get them to reissue it. I last recently I saw online that somebody had a copy of it and they were selling it for three thousand dollars. <laughs> and it's and I looked the other day uh, yeah. and it sold. Oh it's my gone. god. Wow. So anyway, I've been trying to get but in that it has all my graphics and you could see my graphics were evolving. Like I was using a lot of like Native American designs. I was using like you keep referencing yin yang. I was using more what you would almost consider spiritual symbols within my graphics. Okay. More and more. Like I was using Geronimo's picture a lot. Yeah. You uh, use that in Black Mask too, right? Yeah. yeah. But I was using it I was using I my Graphics were going more and more animistic. Okay, animistic. So in the back of my mind, I felt there's something, that there was something in that, Mm -hmm. that I didn't completely understand. I wanted to find out about it if I could, and it was just such a long, arduous process to, to really understand it. So when I decided that this was the moment to disappear... It crossed my mind two things. Number one, I'm going to prevent them from some arbitrary assassination. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have time to learn that piece that's missing. And I had gotten a, a letter, a notice from this uprising in New Mexico where this, the National Guard had occupied the town of Chicanos and it was an uprising, and they had asked if I would come join them because we need more people with guns. So I thought I had all three going at once. Like I was going to save myself from assassination. Uh-huh. I was going to have a time, chance to learn what that piece is that's missing, uh-huh. and I was going to help this uprising. Uh-huh, okay. So I left. Wow. And you stayed a long time. 40 years. 40 years. 39 to be exact. 39. I, I just want to ask another question. Uh-huh. I mean, we've, you've talked really candidly and openly, casually, about a lot of risky um, things that could have changed or altered your life or taken your life. Talked really casually about that. And I feel like... Those things make me my draw my jaw kind of just drop because when it comes to your art, your your bias or whatever your belief system basically is what you're willing to risk your life for. You're willing to go to prison for these things. You're willing to, you know, make a mess and 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 own up own up to be responsible for that mess. Like almost be proud of whatever you've you've done. And I don't I. I I feel like You're when I'm in the studio like I 
I'm not taking risks like that. Like, <laughs> like it doesn't yeah, feel that heavy. I, that's why I prefaced the whole thing by saying we can't all do yeah. the same thing, do it the same way. And mm-hmm. no, you can't do it the way I did it. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. I mean, I've never, like, in other words, I never lay a trip on somebody. Well, I did it. Uh-huh. Right. Right. Yeah. But what is I, risk? I do the opposite. I say, well, that what I did, you can't do. Right. I don't want to ever be guilty of saying mm. or trying to make somebody feel guilty or feel like, well, I did it. No, mm-hmm. who knew? So you did it. So big deal. Now, wh- just I tell people, what are you going to do? Do whatever you do. Find mm-hmm. a way. It doesn't have to be life threatening. No, it's, at all. It's so In cool. In fact, it's probably better if it isn't. <laughs> it's so cool for me to hear, like, your stories of the same time period because I grew up my dad's a Green Beret uh, Special Forces Green Beret yeah. so I've heard grew up hearing all it's these the same stories parallel. it's mm-hmm. the same parallel and I just I grew up with all of these stories of what was happening at, in the war so I like I know really clearly what was going on in Vietnam and like how that all went down yeah. I never really learned the other side of it so for me it's, this is like a, such a it's pretty, joy it's, to, it's the other side of the yeah, coin yeah it's such a joy to listen to you talk and See, and like now in light of what you just said, like if you read not only this book, but all 25, you read parts or essays, nowhere in it do I attack the troops, the American troops. Like like some people on the left or political people, they like castigated the troops or they, I never did. I always felt like they were just being used. Mm-hmm. They were like I never there. once. Well, they were pawns in the most yeah corrupt. Like, I mean, what what were we really fighting in Vietnam? It had had this vague notion of communism, but it was just a war against the third world. Essentially, it was just yeah. against and poor people. I tried like, to tell them way in the beginning, like McNamara and them. Uh huh. I went to some conference. You know, some. I tried to tell them. You know, you guys keep talking about the domino theory that Vietnam is going to follow China they, into yeah. communism oh and be a domino. Uh huh. And I'm going to tell you something: the Vietnamese hate the Chinese more than they hate the Americans. It's uh, they, they had yeah the, all that was the Chinese propaganda. have been trying to conquer them for ten thousand years. Yeah. And it was the first time your average American heard the word Cambodia or Vietnam. <laughs> they didn't yeah. even know where they were. And all of a sudden, they're like, we got to fight the evil out there. It's like, what are you talking That's about? My, yeah. I mean, no. my, dad, my dad mentioned, like, I mean, they couldn't win Vietnam. They'd, like, they'd show up and set their camp up. And then they'd set their camp up over the top of, like, a, like some secret underground tunnel that they'd come out underneath. So what they would do, like, they – they couldn't win. They booby trapped everything. everything. Even, even like, they snuck into the camp everything. and they they booby trapped the American soldiers' their own grenades so that the fuse would explode right when they like right when they have released it. So yeah, they lost complete trust in like, I mean, dad, my dad has so many stories of like 
little kids walking into the group of American soldiers and all of a sudden it blows up. Yeah. So then they just started killing everything. If it moved, if it walked, if anything, they just started killing everything because they just – Yeah, everything that breathed. Anything that breathed, they didn't, yeah. couldn't trust it because it was, that, that was, was booby trapped. That was the downfall. Don't that, you think it was, was the end of like the morale, The moral – Yeah. 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 That's what my Morality. dad says. He feels that's what he feels they guilty lost, about. Like up until then, you could say, "Well, we're fighting communism," but right. once that shifted, the morality was gone. Yeah. In New York City, could you feel that disillusionment in our country? I mean, it just felt like it was getting darker and darker. Till the seventies was all just like serial killers and cults, and just like you know, <laughs> feels like there's a feels like we went from, I don't know, maybe a war that everyone was getting behind, World War II, no matter what you feel about like It felt really like patriotic. It and was, then, yeah. And then we hit this Relatively wall of disillusionment speaking. with mm-hmm. Vietnam, and then things went so dark. Yeah, you know? divorcing right. yourself from that, that identity of what it means to be American. For maybe the first time, it seems like that's why it was so traumatic. Yeah, I think you, I think you handled that so well, though, Ben. And I love what you did with the black mask. I think you should be really proud of it. And and to Sophia's point, like we're just going into the studio painting. <laughs> but do you, did you feel like there was a bigger hole to do something like the black mask in your time, like? A bigger pocket, like that something was opening that allowed that more. See, because as an artist, I felt removed mm. from this reality. So I felt like, okay, I and this friend of mine that worked on it together, we founded it together. We wanted to find a way to add our voice still as artists. Mm-hmm. But to add our voice to this growing opposition mm-hmm. as artists, mm-hmm. you just engaged so much more with actual people. Yeah, it was less like I was trying to talk to you about that before Ben came in. We were talking about like a painting is it can only say so much. The the viewer has to want to engage with that. But the way that you were making and creating your work. You were engaged with the public. You were communicating with people in real time in physical space. You were asking them to choose, like, in 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 reality, not in a an illusion of reality mm. uh, or another space. I feel like I totally get that, and I do feel also I also feel removed as an artist. What like what can I do really? Uh huh. You know, and I think that's what is troubling us, and that's why we're asking you that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, try to bring it. What's applicable well, to I our life? Well, I can't assuage your troubles. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So then you got heavily into, well, uh, the the religion. Would you say it's the religion no, of animus? No, I would never no. use the term religion. Okay. It's I'm the, actually anti-religion. Okay. Is it a practice of animus? What is it? Yeah, it's it's a... A process. A process. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> I love it. And I love it. <laughs> the only way I feel that I have an opening to even talk about it or bring it is to make sh- clear that it is 
absolutely not religious. Mm-hmm. It's anti-religion. Right. To me, religion is a problem. Uh-huh. I agree. I agree. I agree. I think it's Major a major problem. problem. Yeah. So, like, it would be hypocritical then, you see, to, like, I want to make it clear that animism is actually, religion is blasphemous to animism. Religion and religion has been a problem for a very long time. Yeah, it, it destroyed spirituality. You cannot uh, pray anymore because of religion. It destroyed your ability to pray. Oh, my like God. Animist, mm-hmm. indigenous people prayed oh every minute God. they prayed, but their prayer was not connected to some memorized fiction. It was from inside, but religion destroyed the ability, your ability to pray. Because now prayer is like an absurdity. Uh, yeah, right. Unless you're really so, I had to go back religion. and stay amongst Native Americans for 40, 39 years, 40 years to mm. learn that prayer is mm. possible. Without religion. Without religion. It's breathing. And I I honestly wouldn't say that... I would call myself religious, but I wouldn't say that my prayers are necessarily religious. If that makes any sense. I feel like a lot of the ways that I look at my religion are really out of the context of which I was given to. And like... A lot of things that you're saying actually apply to how I look at my own religion. Yeah, so that's why I don't, know I don't that force means, everybody to be on the same page. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. like the way you you have a way to find it. Yeah. Like who am I to interrupt that way and yeah. say, oh no, my way is better. Yeah. Bullshit. Like your way is but your could, way. Find could, it. We, could we make this analogy? Does this analogy have any legs like we've been talking about art and religion a lot religion affects the way that you pray and we have talked about in a lot of ways how the art market art world has become blasphemous is that affecting the way we look at paintings can you no longer <laughs> see a painting the same way that's good because it's so tainted no i can i can s- still see a but painting. you're enlightened <laughs> <laughs> but a good percentage of, of humankind or middle class or whatever art public is tainted now. They're tainted, right? Yeah. To, to, to back to a Josh's question, it like, does seem it, more incendiary. Is it saleable? Is it this? Is it entertaining? Yeah. Is it? Is it a celebrity who made it? Yeah. You know? Is it? Oh, which brings me back to, uh, you know about that... Um, Postcards from the Edge, the uh, visual aids uh, benefit? No, I don't know about it. I took part this year. I did a painting for it. Everybody does a painting postcard size. I do know this, yes. It's really a beautiful concept. So the paintings are signed on the back. So there's a thousand paintings on view. Okay. And you walk in and you have to decide if you want one of those. You have no idea who. who it could be what? Joe Blow <laughs> or it could be 
Kiki Smith. Okay. I mean, you have no idea. You have to just like something. I, oh, I like that. I want that. And so is, is everything the same amount of money? Yes, like, exactly uh, the same. And that's I had how it a painting in it. It sold the first day. And I bought one the first day. That one with the crows. I oh, just liked you it. It's so that. poetic. Oh, yeah, that's it's great. It's like Edgar Allan Poe. Uh-huh. Who did it? Did you, did you find out? I, it was done by a woman who's an uh, art therapist. Oh, great. I have her name. Oh, that's so great. But I just liked it. The po- like, I went just to see the work, because it's a thousand pieces, and I saw mine there, and I saw that it sold the first day, and but I wasn't really planning to buy you know, I was so I'm so limited financially. I wasn't planning. They're not expensive, but I wasn't planning to buy one. But out of a thousand paintings, that one just something so poetic about it just yeah spoke to me. So I just bought it. Uh, so great. Uh, so Ben, we've all right. So your life is seems remarkable to say the least. You grew up in Hell's Kitchen. You got hooked on drugs early you were in the sort of tail end of the beats to jazz to i was friends with ginsburg really good were you really very he's great you know you can you can uh just listen to his poems online him reading them i turn them on all the time they're amazing he he was a beautiful guy yeah we were very different in our understanding like you know obviously he had some inclination toward buddhism and you know, so we used to do joint things sometimes together. He would, ohm. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And I would, arm. <laughs> and we, we never, like, felt antagonistic to each other. We just took it like, ohm. It's great. Arm. But I, he, he grew up with more privilege than you did. He was on yeah. a, a little more of a. But I just liked him as a person. Yeah, yeah. Just like, you know, I don't, I don't judge, I don't like people because they're like me or agree with me or like, mm-hmm. certain, like for instance, Abby Hoffman, I really liked him as a person. Uh-huh. Jerry Rubin was an idiot, creep, <laughs> but I liked Abby. We uh, were very different, totally different. I read that thing that Abby Hoffman said, changing the name to your publication to Up Against the Wall, motherfucker, was... Uh, Brilliant, because no one could read it because you couldn't print it. <laughs> you know, that word, motherfucker, that's the first, that caused it to be said on TV was us. Oh. The Jefferson Airplane had wrote a song based on one of our leaflets. Really? One of my uh, flyers, one of my posters. Huh. They made a song, We Are All Outlaws. And in it, it says... Up against the wall, motherfucker. Really? And so when they were going to sing it on TV, the TV station said, you could, you cannot say that word. You could, you know, just leave it blank. And they said, okay. But when they got to it in the song, they said it. Oh, Grace Slick. <laughs> so it was do the first time it was do. ever said on TV. <laughs> well, but then uh, well, it was David Peel had the song on the Lower East Side. Yeah, but he to wasn't it. recorded. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't right. on TV. Right, he never did it on TV, right? That's uh, so funny. But then, well, to re- kind of recap your your life, yeah. and then it's 
Black Mask. This is your life. This is your life. <laughs> Black Panthers, Lower East Side, Heavy, Andy Warhol, all that. This, I mean, that's a lifetime encapsulated right there. Then you get all of this sort of enlightenment, spirituality out west, and now you're back here. What 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 is the future for Ben Morea? I don't even know the future of today. <laughs> like we still got a couple hours left. <laughs> That's a good answer, actually. But you're you're making paintings. You're yeah, painting outside of the the norm, so to speak. You know, I I, I in the sixties, I did most of my work on canvas, mm-hmm. and they were all sold. The work from the sixties. But after that, I, when I started painting again, I exclusively used paper. Okay. And philosophically, I felt like, I mean, this is just for me. I'm not condemning canvas or <laughs> putting canvas down. But for me, it felt that canvas was too much. I was making another object. But paper mm-hmm. was ephemeral. It was like... you know transparent it was not permanent Uh so I felt like paper fit my personality and now people are into entertainment making this mega so I have started doing these little paintings Uh the exact opposite non-entertaining non-mega like I'm always like off kilter so to speak i i feel the same way though i i paint on canvas because it's big enough and i can but i pin it to the wall and the same object thing i hate i hate stretching them when they go to galleries i try to convince the gallery just to pin it on the wall yeah because i hate that idea it's pretentious like an object you know yeah just look at it yeah right I'm always trying to get away from that idea. So that's the way I was saying about everybody. You're like, that's something resonates for, with you, uh-huh. for you. Like, in other words, you can't dictate to other people, don't use canvas or don't right. use this. Or right, right. Like, everybody has to do it the way they... Well, I've heard people, and I think this is a misnomer, but I still think it's interesting that they will say black mask was anti art. Have you heard that? Like, do you do you know what that what? No, generally, uh, well, I think that statement we're neither artists nor anti artists. Right, that's in there. Right? Answers that. What 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 would I mean? Because you were hard though on bourgeoisie art and gallery and stuff. Correct. Like, I remember that one great story of where. The the NYU professor was doing the lecture, uh, yeah. and oh, you yeah. guys are <laughs> tell tell that story. Tell, yeah. The one where I gave out the uh-huh. flyer saying free booze and yeah. free drinks, <laughs> yeah. and I handed it out on the Bowery uh-huh. with the address of this lecture, <laughs> and so all these people showed up looking for free booze and free meats. <laughs> well, they were challenging me. Uh, there was some dot, some surrealists involved. Nicholas Collis okay. was involved. So they were challenging me. And I thought, well, you're going to challenge me. Okay. <laughs> so that was my response. I'm not going to go there and fight with you. I'm going to 
it's so do a true Dadaist act. That is so funny. Did they think it was funny? Did they think it was funny? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> and all the all the all the riffraff coming looking for free booze yeah. to this pretentious lecture on. Well, it was a, it was an art lecture, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's, I guess, more anti-establishment than anti-art. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, like for instance, we shot um, Kenneth Koch. Uh huh. The poet. Yeah, the poet. Uh huh. With blanks. Yeah, I read okay. that. I could not believe it. <laughs> so the object. Well, I have nothing against him, but it was the idea of like these bourgeois. <laughs> You shot him. He fainted. He thought he fainted. Yeah. It was a black. But anyway, at this, so at the same time, so somebody could then say, well, we were opposed to poetry. Uh-huh. But at that same moment, we had somebody in the balcony throwing leaflets, flyers off that said, poetry is revolution with a right. picture of. Leroy Jones. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. It's not anti-poetry. Uh huh. It's anti-bourgeois. Anti-bourgeois. Anti-bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the people who listen to this are full-on pro-bourgeois. They, they really find a home with the bourgeois <laughs> ethos. <laughs> Man, we need this revolution. <laughs> Let's see what time is it. <laughs> Do we have time? <laughs> well, Ben, this was so great talking to you. Well, I, I think. to be honest with you, I enjoyed talking with you guys. Did you really? Probably as much, if not more, than you enjoyed talking. To I don't know if that's possible. I loved it. I someday. Do it again. I'd love to. I have yeah. all the the admiration for you and what I you've just done. enjoyed it. You know, like it's such a real conversation. You're such a real and present oh, person. Presence I feel is unbelievable. Talking with all the questions I wrote down, I ended up taking notes <laughs> instead of asking my damn question. <laughs> just so many things you taught me today. I'm going so to Europe you. in May. Oh, yeah. Where are you going? Well, I'm speaking in. France, I'm taking part in a symposium. See, oh. we were the only oh. political people to use LSD. Like most politicals were, so we use it extensively. So there's a whole symposium about the use of psychedelics. How does it fit within a revolutionary philosophical? Mm. How can it be used? Or anyway, so they asked me to take part in the symposium. Is there a way that people listening could hear that if they're not in France? I think I think they're going to. I'm sure they'll tape it. Is it? You wouldn't know how to find it though. We could look well, into it's it. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, right. you probably know afterward. But I'll yeah. know. After, Let us like, let's know if you do. There's a couple of interviews with me online. I've listened to them. Yeah. Yeah. They're excellent. So this I'll will plug be them. online. It'll be online. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure. I mean, there's so many uh, interviews online, verbal ones uh-huh you know and it, what really fa- felt good about you know I, i'm not that big on books and writing and you know like it doesn't doesn't mean give me satisfaction in the sense of accomplishment uh-huh but there the the tape the 
Tate Museum in London. They put out a book called um, Art in the Social or something, or the Social in Art, about the whole history of artistic movements that had a social impetus. Hmm. Like it starts with, uh, in France, with uh, Corot, but it moves mainly with the Dada, Surrealist, mm-hmm. the whole Futurist, the whole, and they have three essays by me in there. Oh, no kidding. And I always felt like, wow, I, I mean, I couldn't imagine being in a better place. Oh, that's great. But they're, they're not with my name, they're under Black Mask. Oh, great. But just to know that they're in there with Breton and all them, I, I just really like that. Oh, that's interesting. I, d- I don't know enough about it, I guess. So you see Corot as a sort of precursor to revolution in that They way? did. They yeah. did. He, he was an anarchist, and he had some political... Hmm. Uh, I didn't know that. I had no idea. His paintings rule. The ones yeah. at the Met are so it's good. Phenomenal. Yeah. But somehow, so they started with him. Then they went on the different uh, surreal, you know, Dada's and... You know, like, but it started with Corot. All right. Thanks again, Ben. Anyway. This was so more much. than this excellent. All right. Thank you for listening to the Arc Rhyme podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Also, we're on Instagram at Arc Rhyme Podcast. You can leave comments on the thread or DM us there. We usually see them. Also, Facebook, we're at Art Grime Podcast. You can uh, leave comments, future questions for our guests and such there. Our website is www.artgrimepodcast.com. Definitely go there for the beautiful images that we post of the artist. And don't be shy to donate us money so we could buy some really good booze for the guests. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.